0: Support for Great Minds is provided by The Wine Store, located at 1200 Central Avenue in Naples. The Wine Store offers a unique selection of wines from small production, artisan, and family-owned wineries. Their in-store wine education center hosts classes for the novice and connoisseur alike. Details are at thewinestorenaples.com.
1: You're listening to Great Minds, the podcast that looks beyond the glass to the people, places, and things that make wine the spectacular thing that it is. I'm Julie Glenn. And I'm Gina
0: Birch, and today we're following a tidbit of American history from post-revolutionary America to a corner of southern France and then 1500s. Did you just say say what? <laughs> really, it's 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 much better than the,
1: how boring that just sounded. It sounded so stale. <laughs> I know, right? Grab a glass of wine. It'll be more fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> so okay, the the reason I want to talk about this, and I, it's just a weird like you know, hey. Uh, American Revolutionary History in the 1500s in France? What? Okay, so I found this great sparkler. It had the name Thomas Jefferson on the bottle. It's a bottle of French sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. And it's no secret that our first enophile in chief was also a bit of Francophile. The uh, wine was a Cremant de Lemoux. Mm-hmm. Gina, you actually went to Lemoux this year, didn't you?
0: I did. And, you know, they they were talking about Jefferson there. <laughs> they they must love it. Yeah, you know, I went on a press trip that was put together by the Council Interprofessionnel du the Vins D and we spent uh, the day exploring the area of Lemu, which is in the Languedoc and uh, the vineyards. We went to the Abbey where the sparkling wine is said to have its origins. Um, we had this massive tasting. It was mostly sparkling wines from the area. We had, we, they had a little, a few still wines, which they are actually able to do now legally and make some red wines. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me, I thought it was a quite amazing statistic that I remember, was um, that the United States is uh, is Lemu, It's number one. Lemu is number one when it Comes to the sales of French sparkling wines in the U.S. It beats front. It beats uh, Cremants. It beats uh, unless it's from Mou, uh and Champagne. That's what they said. They they export the most to the U.S. and we buy the most of any of the other sparkling wines produced in France. That surprises me. It it, it is worldwide. Um, I believe it was. Gosh, what, what did they say worldwide? It was. It was ten million bottles were sold worldwide. So chances are that most of you listening to us today have had a sparkling wine from Limoux.
1: Yeah, it really surprises me. Did, did they not market it as Limoux as aggressively? Because I don't feel like I've seen well it a lot. nothing in
0: in Languedoc in that whole area is marketed real aggressively. If you think about it, they and they also had a, a bad reputation for a while. Not just Languedoc as a whole, but Limoux. Uh, you know, a lot of the wines weren't really the higher quality. Um, they, a lot of them, were on the sweeter side. But that's all changed in the in the last few in the last decade, and they're getting their name out there. and I think if you look a little more and you paid more of attention to the label, you probably see more of it than you realize out there.
1: Yeah. OK. So yeah. it's probably in the, the smaller print. Yeah, probably. Well, what caught my eye on this one was Thomas Jefferson. Right. Okay. Right. So I got it because it said Thomas Jefferson. On it. I'm like, oh, he's our wine loving president. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. So that's the reason I got that. And apparently when uh, Thomas Jefferson died, uh, a large amount of the wine in his cellar at Monticello mm-hmm. uh, was French wine. Yeah. And some say up to 10% of his private wine collection was from Lamou. So he did dig it? Yes, he did. That is uh, something that has been corroborated by the Monticello.org website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We, that was a second We sourcing. do not want to question that one.
1: <laughs> so, it's from the Languedoc region of France, it's the far southwest part of the area that stretches along the coast from Spain to Provence. It's a big area, and it seems like Lamu is a little bit inland from the rest of it.
0: It is uh, Lamu is in in the in the southwest part of the of the entire Languedoc, and it's. Close to the water, um, it's very rural. Obviously, if you've been to any of these wine regions in France, it's not like it's like everything else. You have to drive for miles, and they don't have a lot of tourist uh, infrastructure set up yet. But they're working on all of that. Um, the first mention of sparkling wines from here date back to the 1500s. However. Um, this year when I was there, they were they had banners everywhere. It's our 80th anniversary of the sparkling wine in Lemuse. So I'm not exactly sure where the 80th came from. Maybe it's when they started really the packaging DLC? it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the AOC. And, um, yeah, so, AOC, sorry, I'm in no, France. That's okay. And <laughs> one of the stops we made was at the Abbey um, Saint-Hilaire where Dom Perignon is uh, believed to have passed through. And uh, he is... You know, the father, a lot of people think he's the father of Champagne. Um, but I loved it. One of the guys who was taking us on a tour in his French accent says, oh, we think he was a naughty monk. He was a <laughs> naughty monk, that dumb. <laughs> you know, we were all
1: laughing. <laughs> there there have been questions about whether or not he was actually the, the first guy to do mm-hmm. Method Champion was.
0: Well, what what we went to the cave in, in this abbey where they supposedly was the first one. And it was like we were walking to the Holy Grail. People were like, this is where it happened. Let's all whisper. I'm going to touch the rock. Oh. <gasps> <gasps> Oh, I need some sparkling right now. They didn't serve it to us there. We had to wait till we left the abbey. I'm like, "Come on, man, you're making me like I'm salivating. I'm just going to lick the walls to try to get a taste of it." <laughs> you know? And they didn't want you knocking over the vases on the way yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but apparently what Dom did after he visited this uh, this abbey in Lemieux and he went back north is he tried to make it. Well, champagne is a whole different climate. They're totally different grapes. And and it was and it that's where It changed, but everyone still thinks the birthplace is in
1: Lemieux. Okay, so I have questions about this because in Prosecco region, Mm -hmm. in the Prosecco DOC, DOCG, all that area, there are people that still make Prosecco in their garages, Mm -hmm. and it kind of happens accidentally. And it always, it was like an uh, accidental secondary fermentation that happened in the bottles because of the way that the weather happened to work on a given year. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, I don't know who can actually claim that the first time. Wine
0: historians will say exactly what you just did. You know they're gonna they they will say that this has happened all over, and it it and it was a lot of accident. It wasn't something that they planned. So
1: and it's not like somebody copied off somebody else. No, you know it's not like somebody from Prosecco happened to be hanging out in Lamu and right. was like, hey, look at this thing. Let's you know. But let threw here. down the
0: gauntlet and claimed it. So you they, know? they just laid their claim. <laughs> yeah. We're the first.
1: Yeah. Well, that's kind of funny because uh, pasta has the same kind of questionable history. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. people wonder whether pasta originated in. Um, in Asia or if it originated in Italy, in southern Italy. And uh, they found out eventually, even though... They credit Marco Polo with having brought it back after discovering it in Asia and bringing it back to Italy. So a lot of people make that Mm -hmm. claim, but there is written evidence of pasta existing in Italy before that trip. So it kind of is one of those things. There are a lot of. I mean, even language kind of has sprung up in different parts of the world, independent of one another, at about the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it's kind of like an evolutionary thing. You know, written language kind of happens in different places at the same time because of where we're evolving happens. All yeah. the time, everywhere, too. Humans know? are evolving to appreciate, you know, flour and water make pasta, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, basically. And then humans are evolving to appreciate sparkling wine. There you and go. not saying, oh, dang it, this is ruined because it has bubbles in it.
0: Right. You right. know? No, you're right. And there are three AOCs now in Lemieux, Um The Blanquette de Lemieux, uh Lemu Method Ancestral, and the Cremant de Lemoux. Is there a difference between those? Uh, yeah, there there is, and when you know we're, we just when I mentioned the method ancestral, that is something that is very unique to Lemu. and it is um, what happens is they use first of all a certain grape called mozac, which is a little more musky than than some of them, and it's a very delicate grape, and it ferments really quickly. Oh, okay. And this is where they think all of this kind of started from from this grape and um, the way they do this the the fermentation is stopped in the middle of the process. It's cooled down a little bit. The second fermentation happens in the bottle. And then it just stops when um, the yeast cells basically deplete the supply of residual sugar. So there is no dosage. There is uh, no sugar added um, to kickstart the secondary fermentation. It happens on its own. It can be a little unstable. It's an expensive way to do it. Um, it's not disgorged to remove any sediment. So a lot of times, the, when you see method ancestral on it, it's going to be a little could be a little cloudy, or you might see some some sediment in it. Um, And, again, it's 100% of the Mozac grape. So those are the things that make the Method Ancestral specific and unique.
1: All right. And then Blanquette, which is what Thomas Jefferson had 10% of in his Monticello cellar, it was Blanquette de Mm -hmm. Limo. And you're saying that if this one, it means it's the Mauzac wine? Mauzac? Mozac. Mauzac. That's that's
0: how they were saying it there. I know it's spelled, how is it spelled, M a u z a. C. Which
1: reminds me of Muzak, so right. I'm thinking Kenny G, you know?
0: I know. <laughs> All right. Oh, gosh. Kenny's, Kenny G in this wine. No.
1: Nope. Well, no. Well, maybe.
0: I, I don't know. Maybe I'll buy the second bottle. <laughs> but <laughs> so by the... law, the Blanquette, which means white, has to be 90% of um, the Mosaic.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they usually mix it with Shannon Chenin and Blanc and, and, and another one. And it's not as sweet as the method ancestral. So the first one is a little more sweet, even though you, they don't add the residual sugar, which seems kind of odd. Mm-hmm. But it is a little sweeter, and it's a definitely distinct. Uh, and then the Blanquette is drier.
1: Mm, okay. And then the Cremant means creamy. That's a Cremant de anything in France means it's méthode champenoise.
0: Exactly. All exactly.
1: right. Well, the one that I had was a Cremant de la Mille. And it had, it was from Gerard Bertrand. They have oh, a yeah, yeah. There's a huge producer. Mm-hmm. They have a rosé and they have a white. And I got to say, the rosé was pretty good. I just yep. had the rosé. Um, and so that one is um, mainly Chardonnay, Chenin, and it had a little bit of Pinot for the color. Right. Okay. Pinot Noir. So uh, that was the one that I had that had the the reference to Thomas Jefferson, and as a fan. <laughs> of course. As a big old history it. Well,
0: you mentioned Pinot Noir. So um, the grapes, of course, Mozac is one of the, the primary ones used, grown there. And they uh, have Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay, and uh, they do have some Pinot Noir and some Bordeaux varietals and even some Grenache and Syrah that's grown there. Uh, but you just don't necessarily hear a lot about it.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because uh, um, the reason I keep saying I'm uh, such a big nerd about uh, Thomas Jefferson, (laughs) nobody's perfect, of course. I'm sure there are things that can be pointed to that, you know, but his wine love was a big thing. And he kind of tried to start like a little bit of a wine revolution shortly after the American Revolution because he wanted people to go towards more light, restrained wines. Mm -hmm. Because in colonial times, American taste was a lot like that of the British. They liked sweet, fortified wines from Spain and (laughs) Portugal. Yeah. But that became popular in Great Britain as a result of the decades-long war with the French in which French wine was not imported. Yeah, they
0: wouldn't – you cannot cross the border.
1: Yeah, and it's taken up till now for global warming to make it possible for them to grow wine in the British islands. Now Mm -hmm. they're doing some great uh, frizzantes or, you know – I don't think I don't know if they're doing method champagne wines, but anyway they have great sparklers up mm-hmm. there but after Jefferson's stint as minister to France he fell totally in love with the lighter more nuanced wines of France and northern Italy and he really advocated to change the taste of the United States wine drinker for political and organoleptic purposes he wanted to increase the trade mm-hmm. of the United States with, um, with France and northern Italy and he believed that good wine was healthier than hard alcohol like whiskey and uh, he advanced reducing duties on wine wine imports to lower the alcohol consumption. And he was quoted as saying, no nation is drunken where wine is cheap and none sober where the dearness of wine substitutes ardent spirits as the common beverage. It is, in truth, the only antidote to the bane of whiskey.
0: (laughs) That's good. (laughs) You know, I've read a couple of quotes from him on wine and and they were all just I love him. He's know. And
1: it was it was a geopolitical kind of maneuver, too, and like mm-hmm. for trade and stuff like that. He believed America, though, would one day make wine that could compete on an international stage. While it didn't happen during his lifetime, uh, we had to get all the way out to the West. Uh, he was proven right, finally. Uh, oh, Tommy boy. Look at, the at that judgment prediction. Judgment of Paris yep, in 1976. Exactly. <laughs> so what would that be, the Bicentennial? Right. Uh,
0: yeah. Well close. Seventy six so. was the bicentennial.
1: All right. Way to go. So yeah, I do love uh I love that part of the history and I love um, how he championed the changing of attitudes in America long before we started bemoaning mm-hmm. the white Zinfandels of the world and the fruit bomb Shiraz yeah. of the eighties, right?
0: Right, for sure. So next time you go into your local wine store, look for some of the look for some wines from Lemu.
1: The prices aren't bad. They're like around th- twenty or under. They're super affordable. And, yeah.
0: And, and and they're good. And just experiment a little bit and if you want something that's a little sweeter, look for the uh, the Blanquette or, or, well, not that one, the uh, method Ancestral.
1: method Ancestral is going to be a little bit yeah. sweeter, the Blanquette and the Cremant, a little bit more dry. Right. And the thing also to keep in mind, if you're in that price point, you've probably been shopping in Prosecco land, you know, mm-hmm. if you're under 20. Uh, the Prosecco bubbles are a little bit bigger. I found that the bubbles are a little bit finer in this. Yes. Uh, more
0: fizzy, I, I think, is a better word, right? Yeah, more
1: a little bit fizz. more softer bubble yeah. um, and maybe a smidge drier mm-hmm. than Prosecco to me. I mean, that's a big generalization. There are a lot of Proseccos out there, but I found it a little bit drier. Hey,
0: it's got bubbles. It's got my name on it.
1: Me too. Grape Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producers for online media are Anna Hirano and Tara Calligan. Technical production is by Mike Kennery. Grape Minds theme music for Zante is by Colin Mannon. To get in touch,
0: check grapeminds.org or call the Grape Line and ask a wine question that we can address on a future show. That number is 707-200-3632. Thanks for listening.